So, Rachel. Yeah? Captain Kirk and his crew must deal with Mr. Spock's long-lost half-brother who hijacks the Enterprise for an obsessive search for God at the center of the galaxy. Mm. What do you think you're going to get? It sounds like a downer. A full Vulcan brother's looking for God because he's been recruited by a cult, I'm guessing. Maybe he means well, but they've only just got this new enterprise, so he better rack off. God will turn out to be a light being, of course. It would be great if it was giant Spock, but oh, I can't dream too big. That would be great. Kirk will get very angry and McCoy will be cheesed off to have two Vulcans aboard. But what do we have here? It's Caitlin Durante from the Bechdel cast. Welcome! Hello, thank you for having me. Thank you, Caitlin. Caitlin's in quarantine in LA at the moment and ill. Yes. Oh, I woke up sick. I probably have coronavirus. I guess I'm going to die soon. Oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think I'll survive. Yes. So give us your guesses. Kirk and his boys. They're just straight up chilling on the Enterprise. That's the exposition of the movie. They're on their way to Earth for a routine stop. And when they arrive, they discover that Spock's long lost brother, mm -hmm. who he never knew he even had, is waiting there for him. This brother has traveled from Vulcan to find Spock and charter the Enterprise to take him to, I just called it Planet X because I'm terrible <laughs> of thinking of names of things. Because legend has it, Planet X, which is located at the center of the galaxy, is where God lives. Oh, oh man, um, you're really showing me up here, Caitlin. <laughs> I mean, I'm a screenwriter. What can I say? So Spock's brother, Brock, is <laughs> a... <laughs> Please let that be the case. Canonically, it's Brock. Yeah. <laughs> Brock is a born-again Christian. Oh, wow. He wants to be closer to God. Yeah. Literally, mm. physically, geographically. Yes. So that's why he wants uh -huh. to go to this planet. And he wants to be baptized in the holy pond because he is trying to cleanse his, quote, shameful past. Whoa. Brock had lived a life of sex and drugs and rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> As Vulcans tend to do, Brock is engaged to a nice young Vulcan lady named Frock, um, but she will not marry him until he's been baptized. Spock, who is very sex positive, oh wow, <laughs> yes, explains his brother's past is not shameful and that he shouldn't be slut shaming himself or anyone. Yeah. That sounds like Spock. Yeah. Yes. But Brock doesn't listen. So he pays Kirk to take him to Planet X. On the way, oh, they wow. encounter all manner of obstacles. We got space pirates. We got oh, wow. a space cold war. There's a space pandemic. It's a topical. It's all happening. This movie is so relatable. So of its yeah. time, oh, wow. they managed to overcome all these obstacles and they eventually make it to Planet X. But their ship has been damaged. McCoy has been injured. Oh. And the developing brotherhood between Spock and Brock is tenser than ever. Oh. Wow. Of course. Yeah. What about Uhura? Is she okay? Uh, I, I forgot that Uhura was a character. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the script writers often do. Right. So do anyone who writes um, Star Trek. So after landing on Planet X, they discover that things are amiss. This is the headquarters of a being who calls himself God, but he's just a man who invents religions and then hires mercenaries to masquerade as missionaries to spread these religions across the universe. Brock is very disappointed. And Spock, he's like, you got to stop doing this. Wars have been fought. Blood has been shed. People have been oppressed. Oh my God, we've even got dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
of of what you've done here and this man who's like pretending to be god is like no i'm gonna keep doing this so then spock and kirk have to fight him and shut down his whole operation which they do and that's the end Whoa, so let's rate this for concepts <laughs> that was so comprehensive yeah. what do you think chris is she close uh strangely yeah honestly i'd rather watch caitlin's movie <laughs> dragged from the darkness and forced into the light. Share your pain. Share your pain with me. And gain strength from the share. Share our pain as we... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> cover Star Trek 5. <laughs> Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. I'm Rachel Lackett. And I'm Chris Lackey. And as you know, we are joined by Caitlin Durante from the Bechtel cast. Thank you for having me. Tell us about the Bechtel test and your podcast, the Bechtel cast. Sure. So the the Bechtel test is a media metric. It requires that two female identifying characters in the story, preferably they have names, they have to speak to each other about something other than a man. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of things do not pass this test. You think it'd be easy? (laughs) Sure isn't. Turns out that a lot of movies don't really like to have women in them. Including (laughs) this one. Indeed. So on the Bechtel cast, my podcast that I co-host with Jamie Loftus, we kind of take the idea of the Bechtel test and then just expand on it in terms of how do movies portray and represent and treat women from an intersectional feminist lens. Turns out a lot of movies, not only do they not pass the Bechtel test, but they also do a pretty poor job Mm. representing and including women in any meaningful way. Yeah. So. So Caitlin, what's your history with Star Trek then? Um, I've seen the three Chris Pine ones. The Next Generation was on in the background a lot because my mom really liked it, but I never really paid much attention to it. So my Star Trek uh, relationship is pretty limited. I, I really only know what I know based on that trilogy reboot. So this movie, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, is Shatner's directorial <laughs> debut mm. on the screen. Yes. Uh, The way he tells it, since he and Nimoy had a clause in their contract that they both had to get paid the same, it's called Favored Nations Clause. Mm -hmm. It's not just the same pay, but the same perks. So one of those perks is directing a movie. So Nimoy directed a movie, which was Star Trek III. Then Shatner was supposed to do Star Trek IV, supposedly, but Mm -hmm. he couldn't because of obligations to T.J. Hooker. Which he was also directing some of. Yes, I think. Mm-hmm. they had a few episodes of that he directed. Five was the first one that he was going to be able to direct. So he, he snatched that right up. This is his first feature film to direct. Yeah. Kind of shows. Yep. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's talk about this movie. So we seem to begin with an infinitely long cut scene from Mad Max. <laughs> if you haven't seen the films that precede this, Caitlin, we got to quite a high after somewhat trawling through the whole of the original series and the animated series, uh-huh. the films have been so good. And especially the last one was really funny. And then this, 
I don't know what's going on oh, with it. Oh, boy. I mean, Shatner at the helm. Oh, yeah, that's it. Okay. <laughs> so on this planet, it's called Nimbus 3. John, this weird-looking bald fella, is digging holes. Got a lot of teeth and a lot of gums. His teeth are kind of too big and too small. Very gummy, yeah. This bearded fellow arrives, and he recruits John into his cause to find ultimate knowledge. But he needs a starship. And plot twist, he's a Vulcan. <laughs> plot twist. <laughs> Unless you already know the synopsis, which you spoiled for us. But I felt like I knew that before I saw the movie back in the day. Yeah, well, it plays out over a long time until we get that reveal. So now for an infinitely long cutscene from 127 hours, the identity of the free climber is kept secret for so long. This had better pay off, I was thinking. Yeah, it's somebody who's young and virile and they're climbing up that. Wow, they must be so strong. What? It's Kirk? Of course it is. Directing himself. In that virile role. <laughs> Spending his shore leave free climbing on El Capitan in Yosemite, Spock pops up wearing levitation boots. I just didn't buy that at all. Not even 1% that Spock would have levitation boots. What do you mean not buy He it? just wouldn't. It's <laughs> <laughs> too zany. I'm fine with going back in time and melding with whales, uh-huh. but this is a bridge too far. It's a bridge too far, yeah. sorry. How are you feeling at this point in the movie, Caitlin? A lot of confusion. Also, a mysterious man is like, and now I'm going to take off my hood and big reveal. I'm a Vulcan. But we're like, we don't know who you are. So what's the function of this reveal? True. They cut to the the mountain climbing thing. I was not expecting this to pay off. Mm. And spoiler, it does. But I'm just like, why are we (laughs) seeing this? Why? But I'm enjoying it. I, I'm I'm really unhooked. good. You so you were still willing to <laughs> oh wow to okay. go along with it. That's you're a better person than I am. <laughs> so, meanwhile, a Romulan Klingon Federation ambassadors they're all meeting at this place, Paradise City, which is on Nimbus Three. There is a sexy Romulan ambassador, Caitlin Dar. Her name yes! is Caitlin. Yeah, yeah your namesake. <laughs> no, she shows up and she expresses optimism in Nimbus 3, which has been billed the planet of galactic peace when it was founded 20 years prior. However, the Federation and Klingon ambassadors, St. John Talbot, played by actor David Warner, yeah, who's one of those character actors. He's all over the place. I love that guy. He's in Titanic, right? That's right. Billy Zane's valet. Uh-huh. Oh, His okay. muscle. Yeah. Thank you very much. Can't go five seconds without bringing up Titanic. I heard you. <laughs> yeah, pretty into that one. <laughs> so what do we think of um, Caitlin Dar? Is well, she Caitlin? There was an H in there. I was like, okay, we've got a woman. We've got. She's, she's... also doing the hooded reveal. Right. <laughs> I'm interested to see what role she plays in this movie. Spoiler. Ooh. Yeah. It's not that much. <laughs> Don't She's worry. got a matching gas mask and eyeshadow and a wry <laughs> smile. Something, isn't it? And I heard that she co-created the hairdo with the hairstylist. And she said in an interview, when guys looked at it with disdain, we knew they were feeling a bit insecure about themselves. Bill gave it the thumbs up. So apparently it was supposed to be phallic, I guess. If people felt inadequate. I I didn't notice that. But now that she points it out, I do feel inadequate. Oh, do you? (laughs) (laughs) She's played by Cynthia Gao, maybe. And she's of Chinese-Indonesian descent. Three-time Emmy-winning reporter and the 1984 Miss Chinatown USA. What's that? I didn't even know that was a thing. The whole place is kind of a dump and it's ripe with corruption and crime. And rejects from a cat's audition with three boobs, dancing in a really kind of lackluster way on the bar. 
Right. I was like, is this just the cantina scene from Star Wars? I was like, exactly. (laughs) Tamba says that the weapons are forbidden on this planet and that people have just made their own because people need to fight each other. Mm. So this compound is then overrun by Cybok and his followers. Nimbus 3 may be a worthless lump of rock, but it does have one unique treasure. It's the only place in the entire galaxy that has the three of you. I don't know who you are or what you want, but I can tell you this. Our governments will stop at nothing to ensure our safety. That's exactly what I'm counting on. Double meanwhile, the Enterprise is being refit and it's in a sorry state. Scotty notes in the Shakedown Crew's report that it must have been the product of a team of monkeys. What's a shakedown, Chris? That is when you take it out for kind of a test drive. Right. Once everything's all put together, you give it a spin and then... Yeah, see if anything falls off. The doors aren't working and more worryingly, the transporter and navigation council aren't functioning either. Well, as long as they're not rushed off anywhere, they should be fine. (laughs) There'll be plenty of functional ships around to answer emergencies. Uh, Of course. Uhura arrives from a turbo lift with dinner, no surely for them because they're working. It looks like an unmarked bag of crisps or bag of ice cream cones or something. Because women be, you know, providing meals (laughs) to men. They're doing the work and she's just bringing the lunch. Are they a couple? Wait, between her and and Scotty? Oh, that's a whole other thing. Like, what's this whole relationship that they've got going on here? That's never been a thing. That was never a thing before and never a thing afterwards. Uhura is the communications officer of the Enterprise. She knows the ship's computers as well as Spock does. So she should be busting ass on that thing, not bringing (laughs) Scotty some chips. That's ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. Then Starfleet announces they're to attend a Priority 7 situation in the neutral zone. And Scott is as incredulous as I was that Starfleet would assign the mission to the Enterprise. This concept feels overworn now. Oh, yeah. Caitlin, it's been for the previous four films that the Enterprise has been falling to bits and they've needed only them to go and do something essential to save the world. Of course. So now Uhura calls Sulu and Chekhov back from hiking in the woods. I thought it could have been interesting to see them reveling in nature and fresh air and losing technology, having exercise, a bit of nostalgia, that kind of thing, the things mm-hmm. they've really been missing in space. But it just didn't work, I didn't think. No, they had some wacky bit where they're pretending... There's a blizzard. How would she not know that there's a blizzard down there? Yeah. Especially since they're supposed to pick them up in a shuttle. The readout shows that it's like sunny and 70 degrees and they're like, Doe, really thought we'd oh, trick you there. Mom caught us. <laughs> yeah. She's seems to be kind of coded as mom in this doesn't she Mm -hmm. it's not funny it is uncomfortable the whole especially when he pretends to be wind we can't see a thing request you direct us to the coordinates my visual says sunny skies and 70 degrees sulu look the sun's come out it's a miracle oh cringe we just watched star trek 4 which was very funny, Mm, intentionally purposeful jokes that were in character that made you laugh and warmed your heart. These actors can do comedy. They can do it. And yet... Not here. So meanwhile, the best friends, Gankirk, Spock and McCoy, are chatting and eating boozy beans around a campfire. I was like, why is this scene in the movie? Why has there not been any real story established yet? They're singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat. I'm like, what? I guess they're just setting up what we already know, or I guess what any Star Trek fan knows, which is that like Spock doesn't know cultural references. (laughs) And they're best friends forever. We know that. (laughs) Right. But it's such like a boring, static, I guess we have to show like, oh, look what rugged men they are. (laughs) 
sponsored by Levi's, it said at the end. So I guess that's why they're wearing those outfits. Oh, right. right. So awkward to see like Shatner in dad jeans. That's the word <laughs> of it, awkward. Yes, yeah. the whole scene is very awkward. It's kind of like when your teacher goes on a school trip and they're in their own casual clothes and they have really lame trainers on and it's that's exactly what it is yes so the hilarity of the marshmallows was so unspock that they had to retcon it in the novelization of this movie that mccoy had changed the word from marshmallows in the computer that spock would use to do his research on camping wait they did that to like play a trick on spock yeah in the story of the movie it's just haha spock's got the word wrong Okay. But then I guess when they made a novel of it, they thought he wouldn't do that. So they had to make it a trick. When I watched this, I thought the word marshmallow got changed over, it's been hundreds of years, Mm -hmm. to kind of show this cultural progression or language change. Because they weren't really winking at each other when he said it. That's why I was so confused. If they were playing a trick on him, we needed Bones and Kirk to be like, huh? Like, like nudging each other. Being like, uh-huh. He brought his own little replicator to produce just marshmallows. <laughs> That's kind of cute. <laughs> so they talk about Kirk falling earlier and he says that he wasn't afraid because he knew he wasn't going to die because he knows when he dies, he's going to die alone. <laughs> How does he know that? What? I don't know. <laughs> How could anyone know that? I guess it makes him reckless when he's with his best friends or it's why he always takes them down to the planet with him so that he can never be alone i suppose so now they mention that they don't have families so they have to spend short leave together and that's gonna pay off later kind of now meanwhile the earth pro pioneer 10 is vaporized by a klingon bird of prey commanded by the young warrior claw he hears what's going on at nimbus 3 and sets course in the hope of finding a federation ship and there's our plot b Ugh. so kirk spock and mccoy are interrupted when her arrives with the shuttle to their campsite since their transporters aren't working. She explains that they have an urgent call from Starfleet. He asks why she didn't call him on his communicator, and she reminds him he conveniently forgot it. Well, you don't take your work phone on a camping trip, do you? Boundaries. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I agree with that. Uh, the shuttle goes into the Enterprise hangar, and they have built this set, which is one we haven't seen before in the films, the, the, the big hangar here. So I, I'm predicting that at this point we're going to get a lot of hangar scenes yeah because they had to build this whole set and they had a tight budget they do on his way to the bridge kirk can see that the enterprise is buggy the turbo lift doors don't open all the way computers are randomly doing stuff kirk gets on the horn with admiral bob bob okay yeah all right uh he's told about the situation in nimbus 3 and he's supposed to go there to assess the hostage situation kirk tries to explain all the problems they're having with the ship but the admiral says we don't need a starship. We need the savvy of Jim Kirk. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of that. Ridiculous. <laughs> I just think the whole thing's like a Mary Sue fanfic written by Shatner yeah. <laughs> for himself to play the character. <laughs> You're the only one who can help. This was the part of the movie where there's going to be an inciting incident. When are things going to get mm. set in motion? Mm. I don't know. I think I was just like very impatient during this opening few sequences. So much laying the groundwork. Yeah. You and me both. Yeah. <laughs> They've already got this whole universe of Star Trek. Surely they don't need to use 
this much time to lay a new world and new groundwork for a story. Right. And like, I understand if like, maybe this is someone's first Star Trek movie, they are unfamiliar. You can still like establish what you need to establish in a shorter amount of time. Like make your screenwriting economical. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Well, especially with really established characters. Yeah. Somehow Claw and his Klingon crew have found out that the Enterprise is being sent to Nimbus 3 and Kirk is the captain. He sees this as an opportunity to bolster his honor because Klingons hate Kirk. Shall we talk about the hair of the Klingons? It's just so intense. And he's got the sleeveless shirt and leggings on. It's kind of spinal tap look. But she's Vixus. She's a stunt woman and bodybuilder in real life. Yeah. And her muscles get commented on they do my question is i have to imagine there's a conversation at least in like more recent years about how racist the klingons are like that oh yeah the way they're represented it that exists right that that's a conversation yes that that is oh yeah yeah they started off as browned up guys back in the 60s Mm. and then the really gouty guy in this court he's pretty browned up or drunkarded up i'm not sure but (laughs) what are some of the things that you feel are racist about them in this just making any villain character have darker skin is Mm. implying that any person with darker skin ill intentions i feel like that is also the case with romulans there's been lots of talk about the racist it was worse in the original series it was they really tried i mean they had michelle nichols as ahura which was a big coup for the 1960s and martin luther king specifically told Michelle Nichols because she was going to leave Star Trek. You got to stay in this role because a lot of people look up to you. Mm -hmm. But this is the 80s by now, which of course was not a blameless time for representation of race either. It falls short, but there was an effort that was made. I appreciate that effort. What it really felt short, the original series was obviously on women's representation. And it is so sexist, especially (laughs) now. So progressive with race. They had a lot of black actors in positions of authority. Kirk's boss was black. The Mm -hmm. chief robotic artificial intelligence guy that was designing the computer uh, system he was a black man not women of course none of these (laughs) none of the women in the original series were in any real positions of power except the Romulan sexy Romulan commander I mean she just happened to be sexy yeah well no she was there as a love interest she was there anyway this character Vixis is played by Spice (laughs) William Crosby and she is the first officer so I think for the 80s they're trying to do strong female (laughs) characters they never meet or talk to each other of course no Uh, The Enterprise is still plagued with technical problems, but they managed to get a copy of the hostage video sent by the Vulcan on the planet. On this video, the Vulcan identifies himself as the leader of the Galactic Army of Light, shows his hostages, and claims that he doesn't want to hurt them, but he will if his demands are not met. That hostage tip was quite bizarre with the handheld camera and everyone kind of jumping on and having a go of it as they walked along. (laughs) I quite enjoyed that. A little guerrilla filmmaking going on there. Spock looks shocked. Well, as shocked as Spock can look. Mm -hmm. And he goes over to a computer and he looks something up. It's your brother. Thanks for spoiling it, Chris. This was obviously supposed to be a mystery. I can't apologize enough. But you knowing that, was that what spoiled your enjoyment of the film? Um, Was that the one thing that you're like, man, I really would have liked this movie. (laughs) Perfect otherwise. So Spock is in deep thought in the observation lounge, which has an old steering wheel from a galleon. I don't know what that's about. Kirk and McCoy come in. And Spock explains to him that this guy, Cybok, is a philosopher from Vulcan, and he has some big reputation, but he broke with tradition and decided that emotion, not logic, was the key to self-knowledge. Sarek, son, broke with Vulcan tradition? There's no way he dared do that. Well, if you got a controlling dad, sometimes, you know, they fight harder. Oh, yeah. You clamp down too much. They fly away, don't they? (laughs) He was originally to be played by Sean Connery. 
Whoa. What? They both got the white beard. And they're like, we already have a Scottish guy. <laughs> we it's With Scotty, we can't have two. <laughs> yeah. Cyborg in the movie was played by Lawrence Luckinbill. He was the son-in-law of Lucille Ball, ah. bringing it around because uh, maybe you don't know, Caitlin, but Lucille Ball was the producer that made the original series of Star Trek happen. I did not know that, nor would have I ever guessed that. <laughs> Lawrence Luckinbill is a theater actor and director and also a writer. Spock says Cybok was thrown out of Vulcan for being culty. So they arrive on Nimbus 3. Paradise City wants to know what they plan to do, but Kirk tells Uhura to respond with static since they're having technical problems, which isn't far from the truth. The best friends gang and Sulu and Uhura take a shuttle to rescue the hostages. Sulu and Uhura are on a mission again. At least they're involved. Little Chekhov's left in command. Is that wise? Why not? He doesn't seem capable, does he? He's all right. Uh, Chekhov hails Paradise City, posing as the captain to distract them. This is Captain Pavel Chekhov speaking. You are in violation of neutral zone treaty. I advise you to release your hostages at once or suffer the consequences. Your threats amuse me, Captain Chekhov. What consequences did you have in mind? Cybok wants Chekhov and his first officer to beam down, leaving the best friends gang not enough time to reach the city on foot. So some horses need a stealing and some wranglers need a distracting. And... Oh, please jump in here, Caitlin. <laughs> Obviously my favorite moment in the movie. Yeah. No, um... <laughs> <laughs> It's my favorite part, actually, it really is. Because <laughs> I love her. The part where a woman actually affects the story yeah. in any significant way but it's because she's been made to seem naked mm. or like yeah. she's very scantily clad but she is singing and dancing kind of like in silhouette and i guess all these horny shepherds or something are like what a lady oh my gosh and then they must be ostrich farmers because she's managed to get those fans from somewhere right she has all these props and it's like where'd you get those they're like lured in by her feminine wiles and while this is happening the best friends steal the horses so they can gallop into the city the one moment where they allow a woman to really do anything in the story yeah it's just like male gaze 101 yes. oh, but yeah. but my favorite line of the movie does get delivered by her at the end of this scene a few other of like the enterprise crew pop up behind her gotcha and she says i've always wanted to play to a captive audience because like <laughs> oh yeah on on the other end of this it stinks that she is being objectified totally however there was a lot of people that complained that she was too old to oh, be doing this that's and, shocking to and me. then like how, she's getting it both ways. Yeah. <laughs> like, come on. She looks amazing. Yeah, she's got she's great awesome. legs. Everyone knows and that. And her moves. She's got moves. Gosh, yes. Mm -hmm. So it works. They get some sneaky cloaks in, but John spots them and Galactic Army of Light, they open fire. There's a big fight. Chekhov demands Cybok surrender, but Cybok makes it clear that bloodshed was the last thing that he wanted. And there's something kind of affecting about that, that he sees it all going to sh and he did want it to be peaceful you're taking hostages <laughs> well, well come on yeah, it wasn't gonna go well was it kirk keeps fooing sends uhura to get the shuttle and ends up wrestling with an exotic dancer the cat one from before with the triple boobs in his face and she ends up dead <laughs> in a pool pool 
Wait, the Catwoman does? Seemed extreme. <gasps> Kinda, I think I must have missed this part. The yeah, Catwoman. brief wrestle. And, and she ends up dead. She jumps on him and he throws her into the pool pool. Okay. And then she just <laughs> lands and is lying unconscious face down in the water like she's oh, dead or yeah. something. And it's like, what? So they kill another scantily clad woman right oh. after they had one dance and like be <laughs> a sexual object. That's cool. Also, anatomically... <laughs> anatomically inaccurate so she has three boobs yeah yeah okay central boob so it's like a total recall thing i totally missed that i guess i was distracted by her cat face if she only has three boobs that's anatomically inaccurate she would obviously have eight you gotta get it right kirk and spock free the hostages but then they get taken by the hostages the plot twist they're they're on the side of cybok yeah cybok asks spock to join him and in a move that'll come as zero surprise to anyone who's ever watched star trek he says he's a starfleet officer and he won't go with cybok Samak forces them to take him to the enterprise by shuttle meanwhile on the enterprise scotty notices that the klingons have arrived and they've cloaked Chekhov orders them to raise shields, but they can't get the shuttle in if the shields are up. They've got a conundrum. Cybok is going to force them to go on board no matter what. He says they're not going back. So Kirk pulls a fancy maneuver where they lower the shields and just throw the shuttle in without just using the tractor ram beam. Ram it in there. Ram it right in there. They get on board. Now, at this moment, everybody's kind of knocked unconscious. And then Kirk sees the weapon and he tries to get it from Cybok. Him and Cybok fight. Mm-hmm. And then... Of course, Cybok's massively more powerful than he's, him. He's a Vulcan. And then Spock manages to get the weapon. Cybok. You must surrender. No. You must kill me. Shoot him! He's your brother. (laughs) We know. And the Kirk gets bent out of shape. They all get captured and then stuck in the brig. Cyborg also is a son of Sarek. You mean he's your brother, brother? You made that up. I did not. You did too. Cyborg couldn't possibly be your brother because I happen to know for a fact you don't have a brother. Dr. McCoy tries to make sense of this information. Spock and Cybok have the same father, but different mothers. Spell it out more. (laughs) (laughs) So she was a Vulcan princess. She died and they were raised as bros. So Sarek was a widow. We never knew that. Went a bit down market, didn't he? From Vulcan princess to human. Whoa. Hold on. Amanda's great. What are you talking about? (laughs) Spock is half Vulcan, half human, right? Yeah. Yeah. Their dad was the Vulcan. Yeah. So Cybok is full Vulcan. But he's decided to rebel against their withheld emotions nature, I guess. Mm-hmm. Although not really. He does. He's all yeah. laughing and smiling well, and true. slapping people on the back. So Kirk fumes that Spock didn't tell anybody about this, the fact that this guy was his brother. But McCoy defends him, saying he could no more kill Cybok than he could kill Kirk. Well, that's nice to have McCoy defending Spock for change, I guess. On the bridge, Uhura and Sulu seem to have been recruited. Yes, somehow Cybok has had them share their pain and now they're all in his Team Cybok. Brainwashing, yes. 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 We'll go into later in concepts, but I really don't understand how that happens. Why this guy's got these powers. Uh, plot. (laughs) So in the brig, they try to escape, but it fails because Spock personally tested the new design and found it escape proof. (laughs) Even though the rest of the ship's falling apart, the brig happens to be (laughs) absolutely fine. Cybok makes a ship-wide announcement. Brave crew of the Starship Enterprise. Consider the questions of existence. These are the questions which man has asked ever since he first gazed at the stars and dreamed. My Vulcan ancestors 
ruled by their emotions. They felt with their hearts. They made love with their hearts. They believed with their hearts. But above all else, they believed in a place in which these questions of existence would be answered. Modern dogma tells us this place is a myth, a fantasy concocted by pagans. It is no fantasy, I tell you. I tell you. It exists, my brothers. We have been chosen to undertake the greatest adventure of all time, the discovery of Shakari. Shakari, which lies beyond the Great Barrier at the center of the galaxy. Shakari, princess of power. <laughs> Heaven, or God, or the meaning of life is an actual place the living can get to in this oh, concept. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Kirk says no ship has ever entered the Great Barrier and no probe has ever returned. They hear a tapping and realize it's Morse code spelling S T. A-N... It's going to be stand back. It's stand no, back. Keep going. <laughs> keep going. They keep going. They spell the whole thing. I'm really disappointed when I get something before the characters do, because that never happens. Oh, then blast. Scotty does a jailbreak. Uh, Scotty points out that the crew can't be trusted anymore because they've been brainwashed. They need to get to the emergency transmitter, which for some reason is in the observation lounge. I don't know why it's there, but mm. sure. I think it's another set that they had built, so they didn't need to <laughs> use another set. But they have to sneak through Turbo Shaft 3 to get there. Scotty goes a different direction to go take care of something else. And he brags about knowing the ship like the back of his hand and promptly walks into a low-hanging beam, <laughs> knocking himself unconscious. I thought that was just going to be like a visual joke that like wouldn't actually be a part of the plot. Because, but then they like, not to jump ahead, but they like capture him and like put him in the medical bay. And so I was like, oh, that was like a plot point. Okay. And then it's not because they kind of make it so that he can't fix the transport was it jeopardy and then suddenly he's fine and he can so they begin a long climb up the turbo shaft and spock grabs his levitation boots pay yes. off yeah it's no. it's awesome they go past deck 78 there's not 78 decks in the enterprise oh. also they go past deck 52 <laughs> twice <laughs> Because Some you always need design. an extra 50-second floor. Gosh, too. Yeah. They bring back um, marshmallows again because, like, <laughs> all three of them are, like, using the same jet boots to levitate. And he's like, oh, we're too heavy. Uh, must be the too many marshmallows yeah. we ate. And it's like, oh, you're bringing this back? And then finally they're like, no, fire the thrusters or whatever. And then they're able to project upward. But don't go too high, kind of Willy Wonka with the bubbles bit style. But they're fine. They head for the observation lounge. Kirk contacts Starfleet Command for help, but guess what? It's not really Starfleet Command. It's Vixis on the Bird of Prey. She's pretending to be Starfleet Officer. She's a good impersonator. What do we think about her now? I mean, strong female character. <laughs> <laughs> She's done one thing. Cybok and his gang find them and try to persuade the best friend's gang of their culty cause. Meanwhile, Scotty has recovered and can fix the transporter. So what was the point of that storyline? Yeah. Cybok talks of Shakari as heaven. The Klingons, Romulans and Andorians all have a shared concept of it, apparently. I'm interested. I mean, confused? No. All those diverse aliens have a monotheistic or a heaven-like, but maybe Wait. all cultures you don't have to Do. have monotheism to no, have an uh, afterlife, no? no? Like quite a few religions have an afterlife and others have reincarnation and mm -hmm. there's it 
most religions don't have death as the end. We learn that Saibok frees minds by forcing people to face their pain and draw strength from it. McCoy compares it to brainwashing. Yeah, that sounds more likely. Yeah. Saibok says McCoy's pain runs the deepest, and we see an apparition of an old man in a bed, McCoy's dad. McCoy begs Saibok not to put him through this memory, but Saibok, he continues. Consent oh. for re-traumatizing someone, anyone? <laughs> this also goes on for a very long time. Like, this is another scene where I'm like, you could have made this shorter. Oh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, nope. McCoy turns off the life support on his dad's bed or whatever, and yeah. he dies. I thought he plugged something in. So did he possibly give him a drug to kill him or just take off his life support? Uh, I'm not sure. Anyway, the whole point of it is that soon a cure was found that his dad could have been able to survive fire and that's mccoy's pain which does sound painful but it should have been more moving yeah and for some reason by witnessing this or experiencing it his pain has been released so he feels like an elation cybok mm. shows spock his mom giving birth to him sarik coldly dismisses him as being so human and cybok claims he has done nothing to either spock or mccoy and he wonders if kirk knew these things about them these yeah. these kind of very personal things and he didn't well, he knew Spock had daddy issues. <laughs> or at least he knew Spock's dad was a complete jerk. He's a real jerk. Such poor timing as well after Spock's dad was finally lukewarm to Spock in the last film. I know. <laughs> he was polite to his own son. It was, pretty, it, was, now. it was so touching. Kirk refuses to have his turn. He says he knows he made mistakes in his life. There are good experiences and bad experiences. And that is what makes us who we are. If we lose our pain, we lose ourselves. Yeah, let's look at that in concepts, because he's not making the experiences cease to have existed. No. He's just relieving them. So McCoy agrees to join Cybok on the bridge, but Spock says he wants to stay with Kirk. And McCoy says, yeah, you know what, I'm going to stay with Kirk too. So obviously the brainwashing didn't work out so well. <laughs> They've got the power to resist it, as usual. Spock? I cannot go with you. Why not? I belong here. I don't understand. Sabok, you are my brother, but you do not know me. I am not the outcast boy you left behind those many years ago. Since that time, I have found myself and my place. I know who I am, and I cannot go with you. I, uh, I guess you better count me out, too. And I'll see you on the other side. And now, Shatner's original story was darker and had McCoy and Spock siding with Cybok, leaving Kirk alone. But Nimoy refused to do this. Again, you're back to that Mary, Mary Sue idea yes. where it's all Kirk. And Everyone Kirk is abandons awesome. him. Only he can do it. But Nimoy was like, no, that's lame. <laughs> We're not going to let you be the only awesome guy. Yeah. I want to be awesome, too. And Spock would never do that, especially after the search for Spock, which... You know, he went through this big transformation and Kirk put everything on the line to save him. All of his friends did. So yeah. it seems really out of character. So they arrive at the barrier, it's blocking their sensors. Cybok says it's an illusion, so they go inside. And when they get there, everything's fine. Shakari, this planet is there. Cybok gives the command to Kirk. We're here now. You can have your ship back. He knows he'll want to investigate this phenomenon, and that's right. So Kirk decides that the Best Friends gang and Cybok are going to go down to this planet and see if God's there. It's such a white sausage fest, this film. <laughs> <laughs> As usual. An external force grabs the shuttle and lands it. Kirk wants to bring a phaser, but Cybok says, no, we don't need it. Come on. But then the bird of prey arrives unseen. It's cloaked. 
Cyborg calls out to God. The ground shakes. These big stone pillars shoot up from the ground and closing them. The sky goes dark and a big pillar of light shoots up past the Enterprise. And then we get this scene here. Brave souls. Welcome. Is this the voice of God? One voice. What were you thinking at this point, Caitlin? Well, one, I kept forgetting that the Klingons were like a part of the story. Yes. They would <laughs> not be around for large swaths of time. And then they would they'd be like, by the way, we're here. And <laughs> yep. like, oh, right. The Klingons. Uh, such a huge deal was made about this like great barrier and how it's impenetrable. Yeah. That is not how you say that word, but <laughs> sick. Brock or whatever his name is, is like, <laughs> You know, we can do it. You just have to believe. The Earth, they thought, was flat and it's round. So we thought we couldn't get through this, but we can. It feels like there's no obstacle. They just, like, break right through it. And it's like, couldn't that have been, like, a source of tension in this story for them to, like, try to figure out how to get through it? But then they just... No, I think they should have taken notes from my premise, which is, you know, a a space cold war, a space pandemic, like this pirates. Oh my gosh, so much better. Thank you. (laughs) Granted, that's not much of a compliment. Well, that is better than this. this, You know, yeah, true. Still, (laughs) what did you think of the Old Testament God, big sort of laser eyes guy? He's kept switching forms, right? To be like, is this the most comfortable thing for you? It just reminded Mm. me. There's an episode of South. Park where this happens. Oh yeah. Oh. The god figure, whatever it is, ends up being like a taco that poops ice cream. And I think that would have been way better. I do like ice cream. Oh, not pooped ice cream. I'll have never see it? that film. It's two girls, one cup. Oh, what tricks me into watching what? it? No. Why would you watch that? It's Didn't not going to. It's not going to be good. Ice cream. It's not going to be good. Oh God. God. Why did you bring that up? That's terrible. (laughs) The entity establishes that their starship could carry his wisdom beyond the barrier and claims the Enterprise. And then, of course, Kirk brings up, why does God need a starship? Good question. And the entity asks Kirk who he thinks he is. And then he goes, hey, aren't you God? You should know who I am. Yeah, haha. The only one who didn't know he was Kirk in the whole of the Star Trek universe was a probe looking for whales in the last film and a satellite looking for NASA in the first film. So this entity blasts Kirk backwards with kind of lightning bolt eye beams. <laughs> and then I started to suspect it might not be God. <laughs> <laughs> so Cybok is shaken by the fact that God would attack this guy, you know, who's just asking him some questions. Spock gets blasted as well. And McCoy says, what kind of God would just inflict pain for his own amusement? How long has this God thing planned his God act for his improv is terrible. It falls apart straight away. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what the backstory is on this. Or how, was he sending psychic transmissions to Cybok, or guess. were there ancient texts that somehow got sent out, and then Cybok found those texts and read those? Or uh, it's really not explained. It's not explained. Although we spent a long time on marshmallows and campfire songs. <laughs> <laughs> so the entity mocks Cybok's vision of Shakari as a vision that Cybok created himself, and he morphs into an image of Cybok. 
He's just a trapped, mean alien. Cybok realizes his own vanity and arrogance that he created this situation and now he must atone. He must do what must mm -hmm. be done to protect everybody else and the Enterprise. He and Spock share this Vulcan salute and kind of a goodbye brother. Oh, I'd give that brother an upside down salute that I'd show him. What <laughs> <laughs> <By> a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> upside down salute? Yeah, an upside down Vulcan salute. Cybok throws the entity off by asking it about its pain and then attacks it. This scene is a direct recreation of a scene from one of the worst episodes of Star Trek, The Alternative Factor, <sighs> where there's two Odd. identical guys like wrestling each other in this sort of <laughs> negative energy thing. And I'm like, I, I can't that went believe a long time. they're doing a callback to that. To the worst episode ever To the ever worst made. episode of Star Trek ever. Who thought that was a good idea? I don't. Wow. Shatner. Shatner well, thought it was a good idea. <laughs> and we'll have to leave it there for this week. Join us next week as we conclude our coverage of Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, with guest Caitlin Durante of the Bechdel cast. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>